Okay, hey, I want to tell you a brief story today. So um, um, a couple years ago, a few, about 10 years ago, I went on a, on a mission trip to the country of Myanmar, and I went there for about a week and went to Yangon, the capital city, which is a city like 5 million or 8, I don't know, big. And uh, I got to teach Bible study methods to about 14 Burmese pastors, and they have about 100 ethnic languages there, and and so I was there, and I was so intimidated. I just felt so inadequate. And then after a week there, I flew to Hyderabad, India, to a country or city of like 10 million or 20 people everywhere. And I'm teaching, preaching, how to preach. And I'm going super, feeling super inadequate there. Like, oh my goodness, this is going to be, I can't even do it here in America, let alone over there. So, so here I am in the country, and I'm and I'm walking around with my translator, he's Indian, and, and his name is Daniel Verde, Daniel and Sharon, and, and Daniel goes, we're walking along the street. If you've been there, the traffic, it's the worst in the world. There's no gaps between cars. There's no lanes for traffic. You, it's like a moving escalator going 40 miles an hour with no gaps between it. It's just, and it's like, a hundred million lanes across the street, maybe eight. So then, so then he goes, we're going to cross street here. I said, isn't there a stoplight somewhere? <laughs> he goes, no, 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 no. I said, is there a crosswalk? He goes, no. I'm going to die, not a martyr in India, but for jaywalking in a street. <laughs> and then I begin to think, Praise the Lord, my life insurance is paid up. <laughs> Crossing the street. <laughs> Got a big thumbs up in the back of the room for my wife. <laughs> and this is what he says to me. He goes, Steve, here's what you do. You just step out into the street. They avoid you. I looked at Daniel and I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 no. You just step out and start walking, and the traffic, and the taxis, and the motorcycles, and the cars, and the buses, they're all going to avoid you. I don't know. <laughs> he goes, really, don't stop. You just, just, you just got to keep your pace up. They see you, and they're going to avoid you. And I said, no. I don't want to cross the street right here. This is, I don't want to do this. And he goes, you're going to do it. And so we start. He said, just follow me. Follow me. So... I start walking with him, and I felt like Peter out in the water, you know, this kind of fear and doubt, and the waves are coming up, so these are cars coming at me and so, so forth, and there's at one point about halfway across, right before we got to the little median between that I hesitated, and I stopped, and then I kind of started to, to avoid, and a motorcycle ran over my foot. Oh, it didn't hurt that bad. If my brother can ride over, drive over my foot with a combine, I can take a motorcycle. So here we go, just driving over my foot. Oh, wow, and he brushed my leg, and I said, I better keep up with Daniel. Just got to keep up to the other side, right? Right? Which all reminds me of something when it comes to following Jesus. And here's what I was thinking of this week, that, that if Jesus says it, we just need to respond. Right? Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says these things. Jesus makes a statement to us. And we need, as followers of Christ, to believe it, to act on it, to do it. And when we hesitate and we falter, what happens to us is that, just like I was in the middle of the street, you know, we get kind of, kind of run over, right? right? It's like our relationship with him. 
If Jesus is going to tell us, hey, cross the street here, we should be willing to do that. Keep up our pace with Jesus. Either you're going to believe what he tells you or you're not. Either you're going to believe this statements that Jesus makes, the promises that he gives us, or you're not going to believe those. It's a choice that you have to make. Everyone needs to make a choice about, about this. And some of you are thinking, well, I'll believe what Jesus says and the promises he says, but I want to see them first. Right? And so, so what we do, we hedge ourselves. Well, let me see what's, what you're talking about here first. What kind of statements are we talking about? What is Jesus asking of me, and, and what kind of promises is he making? What kind of street am I going to have to cross? And we begin to think about those things, but here's the most important thing. It's not the promise that Jesus makes. It's the who behind the promise that is everything. It's all about Jesus Christ, and he's the one telling us things, and I have to decide, is this true? And when we take the statements of Jesus... And we take the promises that he gives us, we have incredible hope. And today we need hope more than ever. We live in a community, in a society, in a, in a, in a country, in a world that feels rather hopeless at times. It feels like people are never going to go back to work. It feels like things are always going to be sideways. It feels like nothing is ever going to change. It feels like everything is going to be oppressive, right? But we need hope when hope seems far away. We're going to read a passage in the Bible today. And it's one of those well-known passages to some of you. And some of you are like, I've never seen that before. That's brand new to me. I'm glad we talked about that today. And it's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And it's going to come down to this incredible question he's going to ask them. And Peter's going to respond. And this is just, this is a lifesaver of a Bible verse. Here's, here's, here's what it says. So if you have your Bible, turn there. I encourage you to do that. If you have the church app, all the notes will pop up on your phone or it's on the screen. So here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. And when I look at this verse... Here's one thing. It's just like this lifesaver. It gives me hope because I see that Jesus is the son of the living God. And then he makes an incredible promise about building the church here. And, and sometimes we call this passage the great confession. It's finally it's coming out of Peter's mouth. I believe in you. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one chosen. If you're taking notes, I got three points for you today. We're going to make this really simple. Number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Plain and simple, being redundant. Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man in the Old Testament. He asked that question, was a phrase that Jesus used of himself. In the Old Testament, it was pointing toward the Messiah, so he uses that kind of language. And he asked disciples, who do people say that I am? Notice how smart Jesus is. He didn't say you right away. He says, who do other people say and they say, well, some say John the Baptist. That's an interesting answer. 
because John was this guy who was kind of the prophet going ahead of time, moving debris out of the roadway so that the Messiah could be on the scene and he gets arrested and he gets, gets beheaded, he gets executed. And they're saying, some people think that you're John the Baptist reincarnated. John the Baptist come back to life and you're kind of this miracle worker and John the Baptist is in you. Okay, that's what, they're, that's what they're alluding to. Some people are saying that. You're walking on the water, you're multiplying bread, you're healing people of leprosy. It must be John the Baptist doing that. But you know, Jesus is a game changer. Jesus is in a whole different class. It's like this. If you say Abraham Lincoln, he was a pretty good lawyer in his day. That's an insult. They put his image on your money because he freed three million people from slavery, not because he was a pretty good lawyer. So Jesus is no John the Baptist. He's in a category all by himself. He's a game changer on it. And then they say, well, maybe one of the prophets could be who you really are. And they, they say that, and Jesus is going, well, that's not quite right as well. And then Peter utters it. Who do you say? And he, you are the... Messiah. That's a Hebrew term. It equals the word Christ in your Bible, actually. And it means the chosen one, something like that. And you are the son of the living God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are called to proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what you are called to do. Just like Peter makes this confession now, the confession that some people have is Jesus just a historical figure. Jesus just kind of this guy in history. Or Jesus was a person of noble morality. Or Jesus was a great philosopher. Or Jesus was a guy who seemed to make a difference in some people's life, but he was just a guy. But Jesus said far more than that about himself. He said that he is the son of the living God. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the Christ. He is the King. He is our intercessor. He is the only way to God the Father. He's the only way to heaven. He is the great I am. He is not the great I was. He is the great I am who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Peter's statement here, for 2,000 years, this has been the confessional statement, if you want to say it that way, that the church has made about who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the only begotten Son of God, the only hope of the world. He is the truth above all truth. He is everything to us. To believe in one God who is exclusively revealed in Jesus Christ is not popular today. Hollywood celebrities have turned Jesus into just some mystical figure that we make movies about once in a while. Washington, D.C. politicians use Jesus to manipulate voters to vote for them in some way. It is incorrect today to believe in Jesus as well. Harvard University, I just read this, Harvard University, they have, I didn't know this, they have chaplains at the Harvard University. I thought, well, I'd love to be a chaplain at Harvard University. They need good chaplains there probably. And, but then the head of the chaplains is an atheist. How, do, how does that happen? How does the 
I'm even baffled today. I'm still wondering about it up front. I shouldn't have brought it up. But at Harvard University, the head of the chaplains is an atheist. And Harvard University was started hundreds of years ago as a training center for ministers. But look where it is today. They've denied the basic confession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Liberal theologians, and I don't mean that term politically, liberal theologians have denied the resurrection of Jesus. That's the problem. They've denied the Bible and thrown it out into the dumpster. They've denied that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. They've denied all of those things. And what has happened is that people have drifted away in churches all across the United States of America into denying that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is the only way for salvation. It's not our policies or ideas or our affiliations that make a difference in our lives. It is the person of Jesus Christ. We believe in a person. It's not about believing a philosophy as well. This is our message. This is what we're about. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be like Peter. I need to be like Peter, confessing that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Is a living. Who do you say that I am? And when we ask that question, what it does is it cuts to the chase. We can no longer be in neutrality about it. Either you're with Jesus or you're not. Either you're walking across the eight lanes of traffic with Jesus or you're not. Either you're believing what he says or you're not. Either you trust him with your soul or you don't. It cuts right to the chase as well. So let me ask you a question. Who is your God? What is your God? Some people, their God is their money, their God is their degrees, their God is all over their house. Here's what Jesus said, the words of Jesus. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus. Good enough for me. Who do you say that I am? He is the truth and the life. He is the way and there is no other. So we need to hold to our confession. I am committed to Jesus Christ. I am committed that he is the only way. I am committed he is the living God. He is not dead, buried in Palestine. He rose again from the dead. He's alive today. He ascended into heaven. Not only do I believe in him, but I want his agenda to be my agenda. I want to get on the same team as Jesus. It's like this. You join a soccer team. I love one of our pastors, Josh Dober. He, he tells little kids, hey, uh, you believe in Jesus, you're on the team, and you get baptized, you get a jersey to, to show everybody you're on the team. You know, it's kind of like your public confession, right? And so we're on the team. We're on the team. And when we make a confession, my response to Jesus is to join his agenda. The early disciples, they were so committed to this. They were so committed to Jesus Christ confessing him. They... they, they after Jesus ascended into heaven, they went all over the Roman Empire starting churches. They got persecuted, beaten. For some of them, their heads were chopped off. Some of them, they were boiled in oil. They, they were persecuted in so many different ways. Why? Because they believed it was true. They never wavered in that. Why? Because they saw Jesus alive. They saw him. They were beaten and broken but yet they never stopped confessing that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And because Jesus is the hope of the world, he makes that incredible statement about 
the church. I will build my church. And where people start confessing Jesus Christ, he can start building his church. But the church is on hard ground these days sometimes as well. Some people say they like Jesus, but they don't like the church. Okay, I get that. I I really do. But it's kind of like saying this to Jesus. Oh, I like you, but I don't like your wife. Because Jesus died for the church, Ephesians chapter 5. The church is the bride of Christ. So, hey, I like you, but I don't like your bride over here. Well, guess what? The minute you cross the line of faith, you're a part of the church. You're saying you don't like yourself. Okay? But Peter makes this bold confession. It's a statement. And then comes with a statement an incredible promise. I think there are two parts to this promise. Here's one. Construction of the church is inevitable. Here's why I say this. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build future tents, my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the word church here does not mean a building, never means a building. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It means a movement, a movement of people, a group of people, an assembly of people who are on a mission. You know what the mission of our church is? If you go on our webpage, and I say it all the time, love people where they're at, help them follow Jesus. Love people. Where they're at, where they're, whatever spectrum they're at, atheists, agnostics, Hindus, Buddhists, whatever, whatever, the list goes on. It's just a whole spectrum. And we live in genes, so we got a 360-degree spectrum. we got great opportunity. If you're a business person, I want to tell you something. We have great opportunity to launch into a market share. Great opportunity, because in our city, if I'm doing my math right, I'm kind of guessing, I'm pretty decent at math, there's probably today, 95% of our community is staying home, or not, not going to church at all, let me put it this way. Maybe 90, maybe I'm being too hard on it, right? right? So when Jesus used the word church, you know, he's talking about an assembly of people, and depending on your background, if you grew up Catholic, this verse means to you that Jesus is the first pope who happened to be already married when he became pope, but he's the first pope, right? And if you're Protestant, you read this verse a little differently. You think, well, and we're a Protestant church, and we, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, First Peter, and G, Peter and those other apostles are the big rocks on top of the foundation as well. You know, we, we think of it that way. Others think of it this way, that... that that Jesus means that, that maybe he means Peter or Peter's confession is actually the rock that Jesus is talking about as well. But what Jesus is saying here, I think we get lost in the weeds, is that you said it right. Peter, you're right. And you didn't get this way because you're so smart, because Jesus knows Peter and he's rash. He doesn't think before he speaks. It's pretty obvious here that it had to be the Spirit of God because Peter probably would have said something else, right? He'd have said something dumb. He'd have been like Steve Hill or you. And he would have said something else. And Jesus goes, yeah, the, that, the Spirit had you say that. That didn't come from your own initiative, Peter, right? right? It came down from, from some, somewhere else, okay? And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be unshakable as well. 
And he says, hell won't overcome it, won't stop it as well. The other day I was driving and I thought, oh man, there's just so many problems in the world, problems in the church, problems in families, problems all over the place. Anybody got problems? I want to make sure I'm not alone. Okay, a few of you are with me in the same boat. The rest of you are in a cruise liner going somewhere else. I don't know. So there's problems in the world, right? And then I read a passage like this, and I think, I got all the hope in the world. Why? Because Jesus is the son of the living God. He rose again from the dead. He lives today. And because he lives today, he's going to build this thing called the church where people are coming to know Christ as their Savior. Right? Right? So this is playing in my mind, all these things. And then I got to think about Matthew 16 here, about Peter's confession. And when we confess Jesus Christ, God is building his church there. Some people ask me, in fact, this happened twice this week, are you discouraged about things? Here's my answer. Heck No! Why would we be discouraged? Why are we fumbling around the dark like there is no God? No. I have great comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ is the managing supervisor of the universe and he's in charge of the church and Steve Hill and the rest of you are just middle management. That's middle management. We get our signals from somewhere else. I'd bring my Bible on stage, but I can't see the print. It's so small, I have to use this thing up here. And I wanted to hold up my Bible, but I forgot to bring it on the stage. But we get our signals from the scripture. God's word. It's so exciting. I read through the Psalms. That's what I'm doing right now, my personal time. I'm reading through the Psalms. And God is in charge. He's calling the shots. And when I read scripture, I read my Bible. It's God talking to me. He's talking to me. And then after he talks to me, I talk to him back. That's called prayer, by the way. And then that same book, that same scripture, that same voice is what we use in the church. This is what we should be doing, what we should be thinking about. Living for the king and living in his kingdom. And Jesus Christ has committed himself to building this thing we call the church. Jesus said in one place, uh, Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke, it is easy, right? Anytime you're having problems, you go, you go to Jesus Christ and the weight of the world is crushing you. Man, you just remember you're in middle management, maybe even a little less of middle management. But Jesus says, I will build my church. Who's doing the building? It's not st Steve Hill and pastors are doing the building of the church. No, Jesus is doing it. it. Takes all the pressure off of me. Takes all the pressure off of all of us. So we call the church and ministry and the gospel being shared. We have responsibilities, of course, but it's Jesus Christ who's doing the the building. I uh, this may not resonate with anybody. So my grandparents. Very godly people, and they had a picture of Jesus somewhere in the house. I think it was in the kitchen. And it was, I call it, I don't mean to demean anybody, but I call it happy Jesus. And it was Jesus with long flowing hair, like it was COVID and he couldn't get a haircut. And then, and he has blue eyes. So that's, I'm like, 
inaccurate picture right there, you know. So anyway, so just all it, but it was a happy Jesus. It's all going to be happy, right? Or you have pictures of Jesus. I remember reading books to my kids with Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders. You know, the got the lamb. He's the good shepherd. Or Jesus with a halo. And all those artwork with Jesus with a halo. And I know this, that I don't have a halo. And I know many of you, and I know for sure you ain't got no halos. <laughs> I mean, offend anybody, but it's true. <laughs> so we had these pictures of Jesus, right? But I want you to think of this, because we're talking about Jesus building his church. Jesus got a hard hat on and a tool belt. And he's got plans rolled up in his hand. And he's looking to build. And Jesus surveys the area. And in scripture it says he looks over Jerusalem and begins to weep and to cry because people aren't responding to him. Yet he's going to build his church. And Jesus looks over the ruins of communist countries and the church is thriving in China, although it's being persecuted. And Jesus with his heart hat on, his tool belt, he's got the plans laid out here because he's in charge. And he's got a design for this. And he looks over the city of Eugene and he weeps. Can you imagine Jesus on top of the butte looking over the city, the valley? He's just weeping for Springfield. And he weeps a little bit more for Eugene. He just weeps. As people are far away from him. But he has a design. He has a design. He weeps for what he sees. And he's looking for people to put on their tool belts and to join him in his agenda in building. According to his design, his divine ability, the plans that he has, he's going to dig things up. The bulldozer's coming. The foundation is being laid. He's going to finish the construction project of this thing called the church. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is at the hard hat on and he's got the plans in his hands, he gets this tool belt, is there any doubt that it's going to be built? The, it's inevitable that it's going to be built because he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. But building's always costly because it costs us something, right? You got, you got human resources involved and we run out of spiritual energy. Our spiritual muscles get tired along the way as well. But you know why we can finish? Because he is Jesus, the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's the real deal. He's a game changer in your life. But tearing down things is cheap, and a child with a match can burn a building down in a heartbeat. And what took somebody a hundred years to build can go down in an instant. So building is costly. Tearing down can just happen. And the great thing that tears down churches is what I call apathy. We simply don't care. It's the great destructive force in the church, and we care more 
We care more about sports than the broken woman whose husband left her with three kids. We care more about our nest egg than we do about the people who have lost their loved ones. We care more about our personal happiness than people who are sliding off into oblivion, being separated from Jesus for all eternity. Yes, apathy is the great destructive force. But God is not stopping. He's not slowing his pace and not changing his plans. The plans are spread out. He's still got his hard hat on. He's still building his church in a place that may be seen bankrupt, but he doesn't need a permit from the city of Eugene, even if it costs $140,000. And that's what it might cost someday, just for a permit. So let me ask you, if Jesus is constructing this church inevitable, who are we to give up on it? Who are we to give up on it? Who are we to give up on the church? Who are we to give up on our families? Who are we to give up on our workplaces and our co-workers who are far away from Christ? Who are we to give up on our families? Who are we to give up on Jesus who has his hard hat on, has the plans laid out with his tool belt on? Who are we to take off our hard hats and take off our tool belts and tell Jesus, you know what, you just do it on your own, I'm jumping ship. The great apathetic calling that some of us feel is nothing more than from the devil himself because we are not giving up. Here's what gives me such encouragement. The church is invincible. Let's look at the passage again. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And look at this phrase, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it will not prevail against it. Here's something that's so interesting, a little history lesson for you. So Jesus is speaking these words at the place in, called Caesarea Philippi. It's north of Jerusalem, about 80 miles and north of the Sea of Galilee. And it's an ancient ruins today. It was a Greek city. And they uh, worshiped Greek gods there, but it was in Jewish territory. And so Jesus is speaking there, and there's a there's an ancient temple to the god of Pan there. And in an earthquake, it fell over like 2,000 years ago. But it was there in Jesus' day, this temple to Pan. And then next to the temple of Pan, this pagan temple idolatry center, was a big cave with a river flowing out of the cave. That's cool, right? It's kind of like Boo Pool. Okay, been to Boo Pool? You ought to hike up there someday when there's no smoke. Okay, so... So there's a river coming out of it, and that river is called Hades. And the idea there in that location was that, was that if you could cross over that river when you die, you go from Hades to paradise. And the Jews of the area were so entrenched in idolatry, this is just a scandalous thing for a Jewish person, when they died, they would put a coin in their mouth or money in the coffin, let's say money in the coffin, so they could pay the toll to get across the ferry, to get across the river. They could pay their taxes and cross over from Haiti. So Jesus is looking at this thing called hell over here, the, the, the pan and the river Hades, and he looks at that and he tells his disciples, hey, not even, not even that is going to stop us. Not even, not even hell itself. Not all of that idolatry worship. It's not going to make any 
difference. You know, God has always had a group of people all through the Bible. It's called the remnant. And God has always had a group of people who were sticking close to him all throughout human history. And that's, I look at it, that's what we are. As the church, we're sticking close to Jesus Christ and his, and his, and his kingdom, even in, even in the midst of persecution over 2,000 years of people, of people going after Christians and killing them. More Christians have died in the last 100 years due to persecution than the last 1,900 years. Yeah, there's been a lot of persecution. But Christians, the church, can be, have a holy stubbornness. Now, notice I put stubborn with the word holy. Some Christians be stubborn for no good reason, but a holy stubbornness say, this is our confession. We're not going away from our confession. Jesus, Son of God. Because Jesus gives us eternal life. And by the way, it's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's free. That's what the word grace means. It's, it's, it's a free gift. But God has always had a people. But the enemy wants to discourage us. The enemy wants to lie to us and cheat to us. The enemy wants to say, you're not going to win. The enemy comes alongside and wants to wear us out, wants us to chase things and be in constant turmoil about things. He wants to break your heart. He wants to kill you. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide your church. He wants to divide everything in your life. And he's just reaping those things all around us today. And he wants to destroy. It's all a spiritual trap. A spiritual trap. My friend Steve Ellison, Steve's staff here, and I live in Spokane with his kids and grandkids, but he'd tell me, Steve, a lot of this stuff is just a spiritual trap. I've never forgotten his words. It's just a spiritual trap. You get just off just a little bit. You get so discouraged. You get wrapped up in other things, and you get your eyes off what's really important. And Satan's always tried to destroy, his, destroy God's church, but he's not going to be successful because he's going to lose. I read the book of Revelation. The devil loses. We win. Hey, have you ever heard of this guy named Voltaire? The philosopher. His first name was Frank. He's French. Francois. I just call him Frank Voltaire. He was a deist. And a deist is a person that believes there is a God, but he just kind of wound up the universe and then walked away. And he hated Christianity. In fact, he was the forerunner to Nietzsche, who was a devout atheist, and Nietzsche influenced Hitler. So you got to kind of move that along. So Voltaire said this in the year 1776. And first I thought it was one of those myths until I saw a historian of the PhD validate this statement. Voltaire said, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. Fifty-eight years later, the Bible Society used his home to print Bibles and Bible tracts. I love that story. I hope it's true, but I researched it. I think it's probably true. Okay. The church will never be defeated because Jesus Christ is the living God. Not a dead God, not a has-been. He's a game changer. We need game changers in our life. Every empire that set out to destroy Christianity is now in ruins. 
It's in ruins, crushed. The church, she is invincible. She's inevitably going to be built. The church is inescapably enduring. She is overcoming and enduring all that comes, engaged with the power of Jesus Christ. The church, she is, she possesses the Holy Spirit in our hearts that help us live engaged in spiritual warfare. Let me tell you something. COVID will not destroy the church. Apathy might put a dent in what's going on. Masks will not destroy anything. It's okay to wear your mask. Church experts predict 25% of people will never go, ever go back to church again. Sure, that breaks my heart. Sounds like bad news. I'm serious. I, I just grieve over that. I also see COVID as, in the words of John 15, pruning for more growth. I just think the master builder has a plan that's coming this way. That's why we have new ministries started even during a pandemic that you've been hearing about as well. I'll show you a picture. Somebody just got baptized. We have a picture. This is Tong Tong Yong. She, and that's Billy. So I baptized Billy seven, eight years ago out in the McKenzie River, and Tong Tong got baptized uh, a month ago or so. And uh, hey, here's my point. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. People are getting baptized. The church is still moving forward. So exciting, so exciting. The church of Jesus Christ is alive as well. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's what we're about. Sure, the church has made terrible mistakes. That could be, that could be a lengthy lecture. The Christians started building hospitals and universities and orphanages, and the church began to give hope to people who are hopeless. And the hope we have is in Jesus Christ. Don't get off track. I'll give you two practical things to do. Number one, just pray for the church. Jesus predicted its growth. Let's pray for it. Seems like a no-brainer that there will be an answer to this. The second thing is just stick with the gospel. The content of the gospel is pretty narrow. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead, and everyone who believes in him, faith alone and Christ alone, have eternal life. But the implications of that get wider, right? This impact gets wider, changes lives, changes the way we think, changes the way we respond in the public square, changes the way you interact with your neighbor and your coworker. Right? The gospel impacts relationships. All of those kinds of things. There are thousands of tangents to follow. Don't get off track. Keep confessing Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't let that get far away from you. Pray for the church. Stick with those things that are so critically important. Because Jesus Christ has his hard hat on. He invites you to pick yours up and to build with him. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to stop building. I'm not going to stop. And neither is Grace Community Fellowship. In fact, in the next two weeks, we're going to have sign-ups for community groups out in the atrium, sign-ups for serving in ministry. You're going to get to meet leaders, all of those kinds of things. It'll be exciting as we watch God continue to build his church as he looks over Eugene, Springfield, and weeps for those who are far away. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
we thank you so much that you provided a way for us to have a relationship with you. Maybe today, it just kind of, the light bulb came on for you that you need Jesus Christ in your life. Why don't you just tell him that right now? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, forgive me. Maybe that's your prayer. It can just be real short. It doesn't have to be long. For some of you, your prayer might be, Lord, I, I'm going to stick with the fight. I'm going to stand with you. I'm just going to stand with you. I'm going to join the team here and putting on my hard hat. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace we receive through the power of the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.